I do feel a little exposed up here, partially because I'm behind this, and partially because it turns out I need reading glasses to check what numbers on the guard on my beard trimmer, uh, which I accidentally <laughs> shaved this morning. And my face just feels weird and cold, and I understand what I'm looking at too. We'll cover it again as soon as nature allows, I promise. Um, much to the shock and chagrin of my family, I walked out today. A, uh, I don't know. I was told I look younger, but I, I, it, it, it doesn't look quite like it did last time I shaved, and that's a little disturbing <laughs> that it keeps getting older underneath the beard. All right. Margie didn't notice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Someone. So, <laughs> I, look, I look better, but. No? I, I, oh, I've been looking. I don't I say, I think it's, as it clearly says in scripture, when you're in a hole, keep digging. I've been looking sick. I look, I look well today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll take, hey, I'll take any compliment I can get. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> All right. We are, uh, we're actually in, uh, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 21 uh, tonight. So uh, we're going to look at. Uh, an encounter that Jesus has with some uh, religious leaders and then a short parable that he tells. But if you've been following along each week uh, with our lectionary text we've been looking at, like we skip a lot from one week to the next this week. Uh, So we are now, we've kind of fast forwarded. We are now in, I mean, right in the throes of Jesus heading towards the cross. He's back in Jerusalem. uh, And and what we skipped from last week to this week, we have Jesus, uh, we have the triumphal entry we have Jesus going into the temple and overturning tables and chasing people out. He is uh, making the wrong kind of name for himself with the powers that be. Um, he is uh, kind of making these bold uh, statements and these, and these prophetic activities. And so this is why he's on the radar particularly of uh, people who benefit from the system as it is that he seems to be challenging, right? So that's what's happened in the, in the last week or so. I'm gonna, we're going to walk through... Uh, Verses 23 through 32, uh, I'm going to stop a couple of times and kind of talk about a little bit what's happening here, and then we'll unpack um, what I, I believe is supposed to be a kind of a simple idea from all this. But let's go ahead and start uh, Matthew. I may have put Luke up there when it comes up there. It's Matthew uh, 21, uh, 23 through 32. It says this in verse 23. When he, that's Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as, as he was teaching and, he, and said... By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So let me, let me stop right here. So the powers that be there know that he is teaching in this area. They come up to him, and they want to know what his credentials are. Now, unsurprisingly, based on the encounters we've seen uh, thus far uh, with these same folks, uh, this is not a genuine question uh, from, the, from these chief priests and elders. Um, now, in that time who you studied underneath, what rabbi, you know, you uh, learned from, and all those kind of things, those were important things. Those helped give you uh, a level of importance and, and would help people understand, oh, we can listen to this person because they've been brought up the right way and have learned in the right kind of setting. Um, but with these leaders at the time, the kind of the trap they're setting is that if Jesus actually did appeal to some other rabbi or some school uh, of learning, Whatever authority that school or that teacher may have had, these folks have more authority, right? So they'd be able to kind of trump whatever he uh, put out there as, here's my credentials, they would, be, they would be able to kind of throw a trump card over it, right? So they're just trying to set them up so they can kind of come over the top a little bit here. 
No matter how Jesus answers, uh, if he answers his questions, uh, he is going to be stuck. And so Jesus, uh, who, who of course uh, in scriptures ends up coming off a lot smarter than the people that are challenging him most of the time, refuses to engage. He refuses to engage with them in this kind of no-win um, uh, fake conversation, right? Uh, this is not, again, there, this is not a, uh, it's not a conversation or an argument in good faith. Uh, and, I, and honestly, I, I thought about whether or not that maybe should be the entire sermon tonight, right? In the, in the age of Facebook and Twitter, sorry, X, whatever it is now, uh, and, uh, and threads for the two of you that are on that. Uh, in the age of social media, I know I've learned one thing. I just don't get into non-good faith arguments anymore, right? Uh, I, you, uh, I just, it's, it's tempting. I want to do it. But if, if I have no interest at all in learning something new or having my mind changed, if the person I'm engaging with has no interest in having their mind changed, if they're not open to the idea that they might be wrong, if I'm not open to it, what's the point, right? That's, uh, now we're creating heat, not light. And so uh, that's why for me, uh, it's, it's food and babies. That's all you're seeing me post at this point uh, on Facebook and that kind of thing because, uh, you know, a couple years ago uh, when I got called demon-possessed by someone I went to college with, um, I thought, I'm not sure this is constructive anymore. And so I stopped, <laughs> I stopped doing it, right? Uh, I know, wild to think that way. But um, so he just, he just refuses to engage in an argument that is not in good faith. So Jesus says to them, they ask him this question. Then verse 24, Jesus said to them, I will ask, also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do things. Did the baptism of John, that's John the Baptist, did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Right? So Jesus answers their question with a question, and he turns the focus towards John the Baptist, who is very popular among the people, right? And who preceded Jesus. Uh, and the implication here is that Jesus derives his authority from the same place that John did. And so he's going to pin them down and get them to answer, where does John's authority come from? And as we'll read in a second, this puts them in a very awkward position in front of the crowd. So the second half of verse 25, and they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So either way they answer, yes or no here, they're in trouble, right? Either they say it's from God and they didn't listen uh, and didn't follow John, or they say, no, it's of human origin and the whole crowd hates them because they believe John is a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things, right? So he, he presents with them a question that they can't answer, uh, and they say, I don't know, because they have to save face in front of the crowd, and then he follows it up with what comes next, which is a parable that asks a question that everyone can answer. <clears throat> Verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said, the first, right? No discussion needed, no gathering in a huddle and trying to figure out the right way of answering this. The answer to this one is so simple and obvious that even the religious people who can make an argument out of everything answer it directly. Obviously, 
It's the first, right? Not even these religious leaders can convolute it or argue over it. It's that simple. And then Jesus speaks very directly and uncomfortably to them. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. So I really believe that, these, that this Scripture, particularly this parable, is meant to be a very kind of clarifying and simplifying kind of thing. Do you encounter things in your life that, are, that have just been made overcomplicated for no reason? Something that could be so simple that we've made it so hard, right? Sometimes I think I'm doing that with parenting. Uh, all these decisions, we read all these articles, all these things I'm try- we're trying to do right, and maybe we need to do this and less of this and more of this. And then I remember back to my own childhood, and I basically ate sugar packets for breakfast every morning. We called it like cookie crisp or, or you know, cocoa crunch or whatever. I basically just ate sugar all morning, and then like on Saturdays, I disappeared for 12 hours of time into the woods with no cell phone or anything. And like I think about how feral I was as a kid, and I think maybe I'm making this harder than it actually is, right? I made it somehow. Sometimes we just complicate things. In one of my many previous jobs, at one point I was uh, selling medical supplies. Uh, it's for Sarah's uncle. Sarah's uncle's a really s- smart guy. He's, a, uh, he's built his own house. He's, a, he's in the rock, Mississippi Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's a great musician. He's, he's just smart. He's better at everything than me. And, uh, but I was going to sell some stuff for him. He's getting a little older, didn't want to get on the road as much. I said, okay, I will sell medical supplies for you. He said, I'm driving down to Hasburg, and I'm going to teach you how to price this stuff. And I said, okay. Didn't seem like it'd be that hard, but he wanted to teach me. So he came down, and uh, he wanted to meet in the lobby of a hotel uh, that he wasn't staying at, which was weird. But that's what we did. We sat at the, in the, at the table there in one of the hotels, and he pulled out a sheet of paper, and he pulled out a guy that had the prices of all the things we were going to be selling. And then he pulled out a ruler and a calculator, and he pulled out a, a pencil. And then he began to talk to me about how you kind of have to add 20 to 30% for us to make enough for it to be worth us to go out there. And he said, yeah, okay, yeah, 20 or 30%. He said, we... 30% is kind of the normal. I said, okay, 30%. And then he was drawing with the ruler on this piece of paper while he's telling me about it. And then he took one page of items that we sell, and he began to write the name down and then write the price next to it, down in all these lines. And I realized he was making a spreadsheet with pencil and paper and ruler and a calculator. And so I pulled out my laptop, and I opened it up, and he kept kind of explaining to me, and then I just opened up an Excel sheet and real quick typed some things in, real quick did this, and then he said, all right, now here's, here's the hard part. Here's how we price it. And he's like, so the price is this, and then he's da 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 and then you do this, da 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 and he's writing down, the, making the problem, and then he writes down our sales price next to it. And I said 30%, he said 30%, and so I plugged in a 30% formula in Excel, and I turned it around, I hit a button, it went for like the entire page. And you would have thought I conjured a spirit from the netherworld <laughs> and walked on water in front of him. He said, he was, he was, Jim said, how did you do that? I said, it's just a, it's a computer program. It's Excel. I can show you how to do it. It's really easy. He said, you, you don't have, you guys don't have like a computer in the office that you're doing this on? And uh, he said, no, uh, because, you know, we've got our bookkeeping on a computer and we were afraid to bring another computer in because we didn't want one to give the other one a virus. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 
not really how it works. <laughs> Again, he is a smarter, but in every way, a smarter guy than me. Just wasn't familiar with this kind of stuff, right? But he was making something that was so easy, so hard. And I often have a sense, as a person who was functionally almost born in the pew, grew up in church, went to Christian school, have been in Sunday school class or Bible class or church six out of seven days a week almost my entire life, I have realized that on some level, I think maybe I make this a little harder than it is. And I think as Jesus encounters these teachers of the law, these people who always have such big, important questions, who always want to unpack everything and make things very complicated, part of what he's doing here is trying to call everyone back to what is most essential. And it, it, it works in two, two kind of scenes here. First, it addresses the authority issue and then the obedience kind of issue, right? So let, let's think about that. The question first to Christ is, what gives him the right to say the things he says, to do the things? Where does Christ get his authority? Right? The leaders are fishing for him to make some kind of outside claim for this authority. I studied under this person. I come from this school. Here's my lineage, right? This is something that we still do a lot with Jesus. We try to find some kind of outside source to validate who he is, right? Uh, I, I, I grew up uh, with us always having these large efforts. I used to take classes and stuff on apologetics, and it was this way that we used to try to justify Jesus to other people by showing how purely logical it was and how it was the best philosophical argument. How is this? We would try to defend Jesus to other people by appealing to kind of outside sources. Or we would talk about the history of things and archaeology to show how true everything was in the scripture historically, how accurate it was. Sometimes we just appeal to success as that outside measurement, right? Because we're a Christian nation and look how successful we are, therefore God is on our side. Or look at the church and how it's growing and now we've got a ball pit for the kids and so Jesus must be true, right? Or whatever the thing might be. But if we're honest, I think as we look at Jesus never makes any of those outside appeals to validate his own authority, right? Jesus never uses externalities to create credibility or authority. He doesn't claim a particular theological history. He makes no appeals to his own lineage. What Jesus had was himself, his words, his life, and that's it. In fact, John the Baptist, who he, who he refers to in this, uh, when John is imprisoned, we know later on, John sends his own disciples to Jesus because John is having some kind of crisis in prison, and he says, are you really the one we're waiting for, right? And Jesus answers, you tell John what you see. You tell John what I'm doing. Tell him the blind see. Tell him the lame walk. Tell him the deaf hear. Tell him the dead are raised. Tell him there is good news for the poor. That's the authority that Jesus claims when he tells them to go back to John, to show that he is, in fact, who he says he is, right? And this lack of outside appeal makes sense. If we're, for what we are talking about, it makes some sense, right? Because if you are God, then by definition, there is no outside thing to give you authority. There's no outside measurement. That's kind of the definition of what it means to be God. Uh, Stanley Hauerwas says this. Uh, the, I should have put this on a slide. I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, the attempt to establish grounds more determinative than Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for why we should believe in him results in idolatry. If one needs a standard of truth to ensure Jesus is the Messiah, then one ought to worship that standard of truth, not Jesus. There is no place one might go to know with certainty 
that Jesus is who he says he is. Right? There is no outside claim to authority. If there was, then we should worship that outside claim, right? Whatever that standard is. By definition, there is no higher authority than God, and Christ makes that bold claim. Christ claims that. That gets a little uncomfortable for us sometimes because we'd like to go out there in the, in the marketplace of ideas and be able to argue kind of on fair ground, but I don't think there's any point in pretending like that's not true. Part of what it means for me to be a Christian is to say that Jesus is that authority in and of himself, uh, which also makes me totally understanding why some people say no to that. I get it, right? Jesus is not that for other people. I understand that. That is part of what our claim is, right? The incarnation of God in Christ um, is that authority. And I think uh, this is intended, uh, and we'll get to the parable in a minute, I think the incarnation of God in Christ is intended to clarify some of these things. While religious leaders of the time are complicating things and convoluting things, and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk, we have a life lived with which we can then measure our lives and our world. We have this incarnate life, a person who behaved in a particular way, a person who loved everybody in a particular way, a person who taught and healed and gave in ways that may not make sense. They may not even be logical. They may not even be effective at times, but they are good and redemptive and loving, and they are their own authority. What gives the incarnate God the right to say what is good and true and what is not? Nothing does. No one else does. It is by nature's Christ to begin with. Again, that might feel weird. It might feel like a philosophical cop-out for an argument or something. I get it. Agreed. But that is the claim, right? Which takes us then to this parable of the two sons. And, I, and I, uh, I, this parable makes me nervous because I think it's easy to weaponize and, and, and kind of bludgeon people with, so I'm really attempting not to do that. But this parable is pretty kind of direct and blunt, right? Unlike most of Jesus' parables, there's not a lot of different interpretations. It's plain, it's obvious. Again, not even the religious leaders can argue about it. The only reason why we won't get it, I think, is if we choose not to. This story gets at... Uh, what to me is one of the most obvious and uncomfortable things about Jesus as God incarnate. As great as our theology, uh, as great as theology might be, and I think it is, I love it, as wonderful as our traditions might be, and they often are, as wonderful as our denominations might be, and they often are, as wonderful as all the religious practice and all the history and everything might be, ultimately, I think what this parable helps demonstrate is that what Jesus is most interested in is seeing us just actually do the things he's asking us to do. Maybe Jesus just actually wants us to do this stuff. I think what Jesus is most interested in is this very crazy idea that he just wants us to live a certain way. I know that's bold, I know that's way out there, but maybe Jesus actually meant it when he told us to do these things. Maybe it's that simple. Maybe simply Jesus just wants us to love our neighbor. Maybe simply Jesus just wants us to bless our enemies, to feed the hungry, to love the lonely, to just be the kind of people that repent 
and are humble and are kind and are gracious. What if Jesus looks at us, his children, and just asks us to get out in the field and grow his love, and he just actually wants us to do it? And it's that simple. That's simple and difficult. I'm saying easy, I'm saying simple. Whatever you want to say or not say is neither here nor there. Whatever questions we have or don't have, whatever we feel solid about or not sure about, whatever opinions we have about this theological idea or that, whatever we want to argue about, okay. Maybe we're just supposed to actually act like Jesus. That as incarnate God, Christ might actually know what brings goodness and love and life and abundance in this world. Maybe we're called to just trust that he has the authority to ask us to go and we just go. We just go and do it. Jesus' point here in this parable, to me, seems to be to try to wipe away the clouds and all the stuff that so often surrounds our religion and to call our attention back to what actually matters to a God who becomes incarnate. We talk about a lot of things here on Sundays in our small groups, in our Bible studies, or whatever. But we would do well to zoom out, get that wide-angle lens, and once again, remember. Remember that our essential claim is that Jesus is God, the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, that all authority is his, that all things were made through him and by him and for him, that there is no higher standard by which he is measured. There is no further appeal to make beyond Christ. And that because of this, because of this conviction that we hold, we turn our ears and our eyes and our hearts towards his lived life. We listen to his words. We observe the life he led. We then simply show up and do it. And when we fail, we dust ourselves off we ask for forgiveness, and we try it again. We get in the field, and we do the hard and beautiful work of loving our neighbors as Christ has first loved us. What if it's just that simple and difficult? I don't know that it has to be more complicated than that. I'd love to sit down and talk theology with you. I'd love to you know, uh, argue over the the small detailed points of everything. I'd love to think about the philosophy of this or that to whatever degree my puny brain can do it. That's all fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, are we just in the field doing the work of our Father who loved and gave his life? I think deep down, like these religious authorities, we know the answer to that question. It's obvious. It's just easier sometimes to be distracted than to get out there and do anything. But may we be like our God, who didn't just talk about love or theologize about love, but became flesh and blood, became love personified in this world. Maybe we just get out there and do it. Let's pray.